0: Chapter 30, verse 1. I'm n- not gonna be ministering anything that other people have not ministered before, so I don't come with the original word, but I do believe that this is the word that God would like me to um speak. I'm gonna read verses one through six. Um, I'll just read it from up there. It says, Now it happened. When David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziglag attacked, invaded the south and Ziglag, attacked Ziglag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city and there it was burned with fire And their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, I can't pronounce their names, I'm going to skip them. David's two wives had been taken captive. In the next verse. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved every man for his sons and his daughters, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. In the name of Jesus, your anointing is on your female servant. God, I pray you allow the word that she's going to speak to go forth with power, demonstration, and manifestation. Let the word that she give fall on good ground let it produce what you purpose in this place today allow that word oh God to be confirmed by signs following and God I bind to come against any distraction in this place I take authority over it in the name of Jesus and God I'm asking on your command allow your angels to minister we give you the glory in Jesus name amen y'all could be seated um Before I return to the scriptures that I just read and before I give the title, um, these scriptures have been on my heart for a while, but this week as I was um, continuing just to ask God what he wanted me, what the focus of the message would be, he brought to mind three things um, from when I was going to college, and I wanted to share them with you because it's kind of related to this message. And so the first one that he brought to my mind was, When I was getting ready to graduate from college, um, I wanted to actually go to the mission field. And my pastor, at the time I lived in California, he was very supportive of me going to the mission field. But um, I had a professor who told me that I should apply to a PhD program. And so I applied to the PhD program. I got in into the PhD program, but I was determined I was going to go to the mission field. And I remember. One um, Wednesday after church, a friend of mine came up to me and asked me, you know, what I was going to do when I graduated. And I said, well, I'm going to go to the mission field. And he asked me if I had prayed about it. And I mean, I had been praying about it, but I also kind of probably wasn't being very specific in my prayers because I knew and I had confidence that if I prayed, that God would direct me and he would make it very clear to me like what he wanted me to do. And so that next day, I remember I used to open up the church for prayer in the morning. So I went, I opened up the church for prayer, and I, I could still like picture the church and I can still picture like where I was when I said this prayer. And I basically told God, whatever you want me to do, I will do. And I asked him, Can you just make it very clear to me whether you want me to go to the mission field or whether you want me to enroll in the PhD program? And I had um an internship at the state capitol, which was like two hours away from where I lived. in I was um, was in the early two thousands, so this was before smartphones. And so, like, I went to school, and when I came home that night, I checked my email, and I had received an email from the university I had got accepted into, and I was given a full ride scholarship. But not only that, I was given like a fellowship, where basically I was told I could not work, and every single month they gave me two thousand dollars. And it was just an example, though, that I had complete confidence. That when I needed a word or direction, if I went to God in prayer, he would give me that word and direction. And then the second memory he brought to mind was when I was in graduate school. I actually didn't like it very much. I hated it, actually. Um. Because we had to read, like, 1,000-page books and write four to six essays a week. And our di- our um, grade was based off of discussion, and I'm pretty quiet. And so I did not like graduate school at all. Um, but I was there because I knew God wanted me to be there. And so I remember one Tuesday, the graduate school was about an hour and a half away from where I live. So I remember one Tuesday night, I was driving home, and I was just talking to God. And I was telling him that, even though I didn't, like, graduate school if that's where he wanted me to be I would be there but I asked him can you just give me some rest can you give me something to help me endure and then that next day was a Wednesday and we had a midweek service and um he was the assistant pastor at the time he's a pastor now and he came up to me and he said you're going to Africa in March and I was like what and he um had connections with the Teclamarians actually and they had invited him to go to Africa and so he said he would go if I could go as well and he ended up not going and I, I ended up going but it was just an example of how I had so much confidence that Even though I didn't like where I was, I was like, I'm going to stay here because I know, God, this is where you want me to be. But I need rest. I need something to keep me going. And I knew that if I went to God with that request, that he would grant it. And that's exactly what he did. And it wasn't a long drawn out. It was literally the next day that God fulfilled that request. And then the last one that he brought to mind was, um, so I was in the PhD program program. I finished my third year, I received my master's degree, and then your fourth year, you basically you have to like start writing your dissertation and um, I, I majored in history and so your job opportunities are basically to become a professor and you have to go wherever a job is. So if the job is in Iowa, you have to go to Iowa and I just, I didn't, I didn't necessarily want that, and so I, I remember I was just praying, and I again <laughs> telling God I I would stay in graduate school if He wanted me to stay in graduate school, but I was asking Him to give me peace that it was if it was okay for me to stop graduate school if He would just give me peace about the decision. And I remember praying about it um, at night, not feeling the peace. The next morning, I opened up the church for prayer. I remember again like the room that I was in that I was praying, and I just. Felt this peace come upon me as if it was like okay God he didn't give me a direct word but he gave me this peace that yes it's okay for you to make the decision to leave graduate school and again I had so much confidence in God that if I didn't necessarily need a word but I just needed a peace that came from him that God would have filled me with that peace and I felt like God was asking me this week will you believe again And that's going to be the title of this message, and it may not seem like it connects to the scriptures that I gave earlier, but... I know that God is not just asking me, will I believe again? But I believe that he's asking others, will you believe again? And not necessarily, will you believe in who I am as God? Because I think we all can say we believe in who he is as God. But there are some times where maybe 75% of things in our life we believe God for. But there's this 25% where we have this lack of faith. We have this lack of trust. We could believe him for everything. But this little tiny percent. Maybe we don't believe him, or we think it's too hard for him to do this, or we could believe that God can do it for somebody else, but we don't believe that God will do it for us. And so I believe that God is asking us all today, will you believe again? So we go back to um, 1 Samuel 30, verse 1. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to read verses 1, 2, and 3 again. It says, now it happened when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziglag, attacked Ziglag, and burned it with fire, and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. David had been anointed to be king. He didn't volunteer to be king, but God saw him. God anointed him to be king, and the next day he did not take the throne. In fact, he had this anointing upon his life, and it is almost as if he was in this very comfort place just being the shepherd, and then God took him out of that comfort, and now he found himself on the run for his life because Saul wanted him dead. David was doing what God called him to do, but in the midst of doing what God called him to do, he found that his wives and the wives and the children of his men were taken captive. I believe there are people in this room, and I could just use myself as an example as well, where you are living according to God. You're believing the promises that are declared upon your life. You're doing everything that you're supposed to be doing. But something, and in this case, it was the people that they loved the most. Their children and their wives, the ones that they loved the most were taken from them. And there are people, I believe, in this room where the thing that you love the most was taken from you while you were serving God, while you were living for God, while you were doing the things that God called you to do. And if we go to the next scripture, which is verse 4, it says, Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. this is a very important description I don't think there will ever be a time where I won't say that it is okay to cry because I think we live in a society where we're taught to put on this brave face act like everything is okay Oh, you just lost your husband. We'll put a smile on your face. Just act like everything is okay. Everything's not okay when you bury a spouse. Everything is not okay when you get a cancer diagnosis. Everything is not okay when you lose a job. Things are not okay. And it is okay when those things happen to do like David and his men did to weep. And we see countless examples from scripture of people pouring out their pain to God. If we turn to 2 Kings 4.26, we'll see one of these examples. The Shunammite woman is a very commonly told story. She could not have a child, and then the prophet came to her and told her that she would have a child, which she did, and then the child fell ill and died. And so when we get to um, this scripture, she is on her way to the prophet, and um, the prophet is speaking to Gehazi, and he says, please run now to meet her and say to her, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, it is well. And we often stop here, and this is where so many, you know, preachings come from. She said it is well. But we need to go to the next scripture, which says, Now when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet. But Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said, Let her along, for her soul is in deep distress and the Lord has hidden it from me, and she has not told me. And the King James version says, for her soul is vexed within her. And vexed in the Hebrew means to be grieved. Her soul was grieved within her. She declared all is well, but she still was grieving. And it is important to understand that you can declare all is well while still be crying yourself to sleep. You can be declaring that everything is going to be okay while still asking God to give you strength because you feel weak. You can be declaring all is well not understanding how things can get better but having trust that even though it hurts and even though you are in pain you declare all is well because your trust is in the God who makes all is well David and his men were heartbroken. They didn't know if their wives and children were alive. The the Bible tells us that they were just taken captive, but it doesn't say that David and his men knew that they were just taken captive. They got to this place, and it was burned, and their wives and their children were gone. Gone for all they thought was maybe that the enemy came and not just took them but killed them. And so they were heartbroken and they were grieved. And it says they cried until they had no strength to cry again. I remember when my kids were little, they don't get in trouble anymore. They're pretty well behaved. But when they were little, um, you know, if they got in trouble and they started crying, sometimes they would cry themselves to sleep because you're crying and you 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 exhaust yourself with tears. And even as an adult, like, I've cried myself to sleep at night because when my husband passed away, it's so devastating. You cry and you cry and you literally, you can't cry anymore because it's like all the tears are gone and all the strength has been depleted from you. And this is a situation that David and his men found themselves in. They were doing what God had called them to do. And they came back and everything they loved was God. And so they cried because they were in so much pain. But if we turn to the verse five, and this is where it's important. I'm going to focus first on David's response because I just said, and it is true that we're able to grieve and we're able to cry, but our response is so important as well because how you respond. When everything is taken away from you, if you respond with tears, that's one thing. But if you respond in anger towards God, that's another thing. If you respond by saying, I don't understand, that's okay. But if you respond by saying, God, I don't know why you would do this and I'm not going to serve you anymore, that's another thing. When we are the weakest and when we are in the most pain, that's when Satan will try to come in. That's when he will try to take all of everything that you've shouted amen to when things were going right. Every song that you ever sang when the world was going toward, according to plan when the world begins to crash around you that's when Satan will come in and he'll begin whispering lies to you and yes it's okay to say that I'm hurting but in your hurt if you are not careful you could find yourself walking away from God because you allow the lies of Satan to fill your mind and when we look at this set of scriptures verse 5 Oh, we actually go to verse um, 6. It says, Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abiathar, the priest... <sighs> Sorry, I can't pronounce some of these names. Um, Please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake him, overtake them? So we're going to focus first on David's response. And then we'll come back to the response of his men. The King James Version says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. Like I said, they didn't know that his wives and children had just been taken captive. They could have been thinking that they had been killed. But David found encouragement in God. When the things that meant the most to him were taken away, David didn't turn his back on God. David turned towards God because he knew that the only one that could provide him direction the only one that could encourage him the only one that could strengthen him was God not only did David strengthen himself in the Lord but he asked God what do I do When our world begins to crash around us, when the things that we love the most are taken away from us, when life is not going according to plan, it's going to be easy or it can be easy to look at God and say, why are you allowing this to happen? It can be easy to look at him and say, I've been doing everything that you want me to do. Why would you allow this to happen? But David didn't say that. We don't read in the scriptures David asking, God, why? We don't hear David saying, God, why is there another thing that is going wrong? I've been on the, the run for years. This is happening. That is happening. He's not asking God why, but he says, God, What do I do? What do you want me to do? And that's what God wants from us as well. When situations don't make sense, God wants us to go to him and say, I don't understand. But God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? What step do you want me to take? I wanna take a little detour from David and look at Abraham. And this is another really commonly taught scripture. There's a lot of um scriptures that can get you a lot of shouts and can get you a lot of amens. But when you find yourself in a situation similar to what the message was, you realize that it's very easy to say words that sound good, but when you're actually in that situation, and you have to live out those words. Sometimes it doesn't feel like a shout. Sometimes it doesn't feel like an amen. Sometimes it feels like a cry and a heartache. If we go to Genesis 22 and verse one, I'm going to read. Um, I'm going to read this set of scriptures. So, verse one through twelve. And it now it came to pass. After these things, that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I, here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. Then he said, look at the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the Angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, "Abraham, Abraham, So he said, "Here I am, and he said, "Do not lay your hand on the lad, or do anything to him; for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me, because said it's very the scriptures." person could put together a message and they could just say we have to sacrifice that which we love the most and while that's true when you are in this situation where you have to give up or potentially give up that which you love the most lifting that hand and bringing it down it's a lot harder to do when you're in that position but that's exactly what Abraham was willing to do He was willing to give up his promise. He was willing to give up the child that he had longed for. He was willing to do it because God asked him to. And you see in that set of scripture also, Abraham wasn't reasoning with God. He wasn't trying to get God to change his mind. Abraham was obedient to God. And we see the same thing with David and his men. Well, David, that his wives were taken. He didn't know if they were alive or not. David was willing to lose that which he loved the most and still turn to God for his strength and for his encouragement. And the same is true for us. We have to be willing to give up our dreams. We have to be willing to give up the timetable that we've set that we think the door should open. We have to be willing to give up whatever God calls us to give up and do it without trying to reason with God and do it without questioning God and do it without letting anger burn up within us because God is asking to give us, asking us to give something up. In the story of Abraham, I think the reason that it's so, that you're able to shout is because God obviously didn't take Isaac. He didn't have to, he didn't lose Isaac. And there are times where God will ask us to give something up and maybe he won't actually take it. But there may be things that God does ask you to give something up. You might be involved or something or you might have your hand in something and God might say, I want you to give this up. And you have to be willing, just like Abraham was willing to let it go, and let it go, not with the mindset of, I know this scripture, and I know that God did this with Abraham, and he gave him Isaac. So I'm going to act like I'm letting it go, because I think God is going to give it back to me, because sometimes he does it. Sometimes he asks you to give something up so that he can give you something else. So we see from this set of scriptures that David, in the the face of losing everything that he loved the most, and even Abraham, they turned to God and they found their strength in God. But if we could go back to 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, so that we can see how David's men responded, because they both faced the same situation, but their response was very different. In verse 6, it says, Now the people, no, I'm sorry. Now David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters, then the part that we focused on, but David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. It was not wrong that they were grieved (laughs) because they just lost everything that they loved. But in their grief, in the deepest of the hurt, they didn't do what David did, which was strengthen themselves in the Lord. Instead, they let their grief turn to anger, and then they talked of stoning David. They, they talked of blaming David for everything that they were faced with. It's so easy for us when we read scripture to judge the people that we are reading about. It's so easy for us to be like, I would never be like David's men. I would never talk of stoning, you know, like David. I I would be like David. I would find encouragement in the Lord. But if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we find ourselves in situations, and while we're not talking about stoning people, We allow anger or we allow bitterness or we allow frustration to grow up in ourselves because we don't understand why we are faced with the situation that we are faced with. And rather than finding encouragement in God, we turn our back towards God. And we might still come to church. We might still sit in the pew. We might still go through the motions and nobody knows what we are going through, but we know within our head the thoughts that we are thinking, the conversations that we are having, the things that we are doing because we are upset And instead of, like I said, instead of doing what David did, which was find encouragement in God, we get upset at God for the situation that we are in. David's men did not inquire of the Lord. They didn't ask God, what do I do? They didn't go to God and say, God, I don't understand this. Give me strength. Give me comfort. Restore my peace. They didn't go to God when they were faced with this very difficult situation. We're going to go through difficult times. I was not volunteering to be a widow in my 30s. This is not something that I said, God, pick me. Let me lose my, ch- my husband. Let me raise my children by myself. I was not standing in line to be the person that's going through what I'm going through. Nobody ever thinks that you're going to face the difficult times. But sometimes difficult times come into your life and when those painful times come if we are not careful and if we are like david's mind wounds will develop um my husband when he was um when he was sick he developed a wound in the hospital on his back and because he had um Gone through two years worth of chemotherapy, his body was not able to fight the wound, and so the wound it grew bigger, and he was paralyzed as a result of the chemotherapy, so thankfully he did not feel the wound, but we used to have to We used to have to clean the wound. and the thing about wounds is like we had to be very careful because if you didn't clean it well enough then it can grow infected and then the infection can grow into your bloodstream and then you could pass away as a result of the infection and had he been able to feel the wound the cleaning that we were doing would have been actually incredibly painful because you have to I don't remember all the things we had to squirt something into the wound we had to like dab the wound then we had to pack it and so like had he had feeling in that area it would have been incredibly painful sometimes we can develop wounds and it can seem like it'll be more painful for God to heal the wound so we let the wound continue there And like I said, there are times where maybe 80% of our life we trust in God and we believe in God and we're walking according to God. But there's this wound that we have and we ignore it because it's easier to ignore the wound than it is to allow God to treat it. Because if God treats it, you you have to be acknowledging that, yes, I have this hurt or I have this pain or I don't understand it. So instead of acknowledging it, we ignore it. And the thing is, if you ignore a wound, it's going to grow and it's going to get bigger and it's going to become infected. And there are people who used to be among us who no longer are because they had wounds in their life and they were hiding it from everybody so from on the outside you looked at them and you thought that they were doing everything that they should have been doing but they had a wound that they refused to allow God to heal and as a result of refusing to allow God to heal it became infected and they might not acknowledge it right now but that infection is going to turn to death if they don't allow God to heal it. Verse Peter 5, 8 tells us to be sober, to be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion singing whom he may devour. Lions and other wild animals, they devour the weak. They devour the wounded. They devour the children because those are ones that are the easy prey. They used to live in a neighborhood that had a, a lot of trees around it, so you would see the vultures swarming and they do the same thing. They're literally looking for a dead carcass so they could go in and they can swarm it. Satan is like that, he's swarming. And while you might think that you are hiding the wounds and nobody else sees them, Satan can smell the wounds. And he is circling and he is circling and he is circling. And if you don't allow God to heal the wound in the right time, Satan is going to come down. He is going to swoop and you are going to find yourself under his attack. And that's exactly where David and his men found themselves. David found strength in God, but his men talked about stoning them because they were so hurt. They were so angry, and instead of turning to God and saying, what do we do? They turned their back, and can you imagine if David had fallen ear to like what his men were saying? Can you imagine if David had not turned to God, but instead turned to the advice of the men? Can you imagine what would they, and we'll get to this, where they restore everything, but if David had fallen near to what the men were and their emotions and what they were thinking, then they would find themselves in a very different position. The only way we can fight the wounds, though, is by believing in God. And when you are hurting, and when you are in pain. Sometimes you wonder, but God, why did you allow this to happen? I'm gonna be very transparent. My husband's death has left me very wounded. He was 29 when he was diagnosed with cancer. Malachi was four, Hannah was two. And then two years later, he passed away at 31. It was actually two weeks exactly before Hannah turned five. So I had a five-year-old and a six-year-old who had lost their dad. The Bible talks about the role of a father. The Bible talks about the role of a husband and how was confronted with God. Your word says that a husband has this role and your role says that a father has this role. You could have healed him. You could have performed the miracle. And I found myself wounded because you can't acknowledge that you're struggling with questions like that. Because you're afraid of what people are going to say or what people are going to think. So instead, the questions just swirled around in my mind by myself. And yes, I was still praising God. And yes, I was still believing in God. And yes, I didn't have anger that God took my husband. I, I'm not the controller of life. And so I was never angry at him. But I didn't understand. And I found myself wounded and I found myself struggling not to believe in God but I found myself struggling to believe that God would answer prayers that I brought to him because the prayer that I, so much to me the prayer for a husband to live and the prayer for for children to go up with their father it seemed unanswered in my mind And so I thought if God wouldn't answer that, why should I bring to him something small? Because maybe he's just not answering my prayers. And so I allowed these wounds to grow. And I'm being very transparent because maybe you're not dealing with those same kind of wounds. And maybe you don't have those same kind of questions. But we're going to be faced with situations in life that we don't understand. There are going to be times where man does not have the answer to what we are going through. And it's in those times, if we are not careful, wounds will develop. And we need to be like David was, where we need to find encouragement in God in the darkest times of your life when you have no answer, then even if it seems like God is silent, you need to continue to go to God. You need to continue to trust in God. You need to continue to bring your needs and bring your requests to God. The only way that we can fight the wounds is by giving those wounds to God and being honest with God and saying, God, I have this wound. This is something that I am struggling with. This is something that I don't understand. And even if it is painful for you to heal this wound, God, I want you to heal this wound. I want you to mend it. I want you to make it whole. And we could turn to Ruth one sixteen. Because here's another example of somebody who could have been very wounded. Somebody who could have been very hurt because she found herself as well with her husband passing away. And this is a very common story where Naomi is getting ready to go back to her homeland. And she tells both of her daughter-in-laws to go back to their land. One of the daughter-in-laws does go. But it says, but Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you. Or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Ruth also found herself in a situation that she didn't understand. But she did like David did. And she found strength in God. And she found strength in a God that wasn't even the God that she was raised with. She found strength in the God of her mother-in-law. She said, I'm going to go where you go, and God, your God's going to be my God. We'll come back to Ruth at the end of this message, but she had to encourage herself in the Lord just like David did, and she had to allow wounds to not grow the way that David's men did. If we go back to um, 1 Samuel 30, verse 9. So David has asked God what to do and it says and he answered him pursue for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. So David went he and the 600 men who were with him and came to the brook Besor where those stayed who were left behind. But David pursued he and 400 men for 200 stayed behind who were so weary that they could not cr- cross the brook Besor. And I want to kind of highlight a couple of things David and his men went, but there were some who were so weary and they had to stay behind. And I think that you could look at this in a couple of ways. It's very easy for us to look at people and not understand what they're going through and to wonder why aren't they running the race as fast as I am? Or why aren't they they walking at the pace that I am? But we don't know what they are going through. And so there are times in this battle, that some people are going to grow weary. And when they grow weary, we have to fight for them in prayer. We have to intercede on their behalf because our prayers are going to be what they need to get the strength to continue walking, to get the strength to continue moving. But there are times also when we are weary, when we think, That we are not fighting. And maybe our fight doesn't look the way it did when nothing was going wrong in our life. Because when nothing is going wrong, you could run with just endurance and you could run at a fast pace. But when everything is seeming to come against you, maybe you don't have that fast pace that you did before. But you can fight by taking another step. You can fight by lifting your hands, even if it seems like it's hard to lift your hands. You can fight by still going to God. And maybe you don't have words to pray, but you fight by going to God. And you're sitting there in silence, but you're in God's presence. And so even when you are weary, you have to fight. You cannot give up. And then um, if we could actually skip to verse 16. So like verse 11 through 15, they come across an Egyptian who was um, in the field. He was with the men when they stole David and um, his men's wives. And so he told them where they were. We go to 16. It says, and when he had brought him down, there they were, spread out over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil, which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. Then David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. So they had to go, and this is again, I think this is um, where the preaching people start shouting and dancing, but they had to go into the enemy's camp. And we talk about that. You have to go into the enemy's camp and you have to take what was lost. But when we look at this scripture, The fight was not over in like five minutes. They fought for hours in order to get what was lost. And not only that, they didn't come across it. And the enemy didn't just give them what they had taken, right? Like they had to go into the enemy's camp. And they had to fight until they got back what was stolen. And that's what we need to do as well. And sometimes that fight might be a daily fight where you wake up and maybe your emotions are playing with you and you say, I am going to fight for peace. And every time confusion begins to come into your mind, you say, no, I am fighting for peace. Or you have to go into the enemy's camp and maybe your children are no longer living for God. And maybe every day it looks like they're getting worse and they're getting worse. But you need to keep fighting and you need to keep fighting and you need to keep fighting. fighting. They had to fight for it. And fighting, you know, we, we when we preach that preaching, we go up and we shout and we dance because it's signifying, we're, we're signifying that we are fighting for it, but fighting is something that takes place on a daily basis. It takes place not just in the altar at church on Sunday because everything feels good when you're in the sanctuary, but when you go back home and your situation hasn't changed, when you go back home and things start to get worse when it's Thursday and church is not till Sunday, you don't wait until Sunday to fight. You fight on Thursday. (laughs) Fighting looks like praising God, even though your world has been turned upside down. I remember when my husband was diagnosed with cancer. He was he was actually diagnosed with cancer when we were in California on vacation. So we were back home in San Antonio where we were getting ready to go to his first doctor's appointment and we sat in the car and he said a prayer and he said, no matter what, God, you are good. And that's what fighting looks like. That even though he was just given a bleak diagnosis, he said, God, no matter what, you are good. And I remember we had So many bad news, like bad news after bad news when he was fighting cancer. But he never stopped praising God. He never stopped worshiping him. There were times where I would be sleeping and I could hear him in his sleep speaking in tongues. That's what fighting looks like. He was 31, facing death. Knowing that he wasn't going to be here to raise his children. But every time he got out of the hospital, I could he would be up here on Sunday and he would be worshiping God, and even when he was paralyzed from the chest down and could no longer come to church, he would watch it on live stream, and he would be worshiping God. That's what fighting looks for. Even if he died, he was going to die, but fighting and believing and trusting in God. And in the end, he didn't lose his battle with cancer. We are so focused sometimes. On the earthly, and in the earthly, as a wife, it hurts that my husband is not here. In the earthly, as a mother, it hurts that my children don't have their dad. But this earth is just temporary. And he won the race because he fought until the very end. David recovered all that had been taken from them. The story doesn't end with the trial that you are facing, but if you allow the wounds to become infected, that's where the story does end. But you have to continue fighting, continue walking, continue striving. Because we see that through the fight, David and his men were able to recover not just what was lost, but even more. And it's a testimony. I mean, like, I don't know how many countless preachings have been preached on this sermon. Because it was it's a testimony of what to do when you are faced with a difficult situation. What you are going through is a testimony for others to see. Just you praising God, you may never hold a microphone, but just you praising God is a testimony of how God gives strength and God gives comfort and God gives peace. We can actually skip to chapter 31 and I'm coming to a close but I want to read the next chapter or some of the verses in the next chapter so first Samuel chapter 31 so David and his men have recovered everything that is lost and so now we're switching and we're looking at Saul and it says now the Philistines fought against Israel and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Goboa. Then the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons, and the Philistine killed Saul's sons. The battle became fierce against Saul. The archers hit him, and he was severely wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through And abuse me, but his armor bearer would not, for he was greatly afa- afraid. Therefore, Saul took a sword and fell on it. And when the armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died within him. So Saul, his three sons, his armor bearer, and all his men died together that same day. And I wanted to go to this scripture because David had no idea that the end of his battle was coming. His actions in just the previous chapter, I don't know how much time went between chapter 30 and 31, but his actions in 30 had a direct impact on what was going to come in 31, because had in chapter 31 everything been taken from David, had David grown angry just like David's men grew angry, David would have probably lost out on the promise that was just around the corner. our actions when everything is taken for us has effects on our life and it's really easy when things are going bad for us to allow our emotions to control our reaction to the situation but if we allow those emotions to control how we are going to react then that promise that has been delivered to us even if that promise was years before But that promise, that calling, that thing that God has said he was going to do, if we allow the wounds to become infected, then it's like we are telling God, I don't believe in this promise, and we are walking away from it. But our actions don't just have an impact on us. If we actually go back to Ruth 4.13, So Ruth um, and her mother-in-law moved back to their homeland and Ruth marries an individual by the name of Boaz. And this scripture says, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Also, the neighbor woman gave him a name saying, there is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse the father of David. So it's not just David's actions that had an effect. It's Ruth's actions. When Ruth lost her first husband, Had she stayed in her homeland, had she not told her mother-in-law, no, your God is going to be my God, then she would not have become the mother of Obed and basically the great-grandmother of David. Her actions had an impact not just on her life, but her actions had an impact on generations to come. Our actions in times of difficulty, don't just impact us. They impact our children. They impact our children's children. They impact those that are all around us. They see whether we are fighting. They see when we are getting discouraged. They see if we're going to throw in the towel. And if we throw in the towel, it doesn't just impact us. It impacts them. And not only does it impact them, and this is especially for those who have smaller children. I'm not walking away from God, but if I were to walk away from God... I have knowledge of God, right? Because I've been in this. And so if I were to walk away, I have knowledge. But if I walked away and I took my children with me, they only have a short knowledge. And so if I'm away for 10, 15 years, that—that that that is what I'm teaching them, right? The, The way to not live for God. And so if I were to come back, Praise God that I came back, but that doesn't mean my children would come back because they've just been 10, 15 years not in God. And so our impact is not just for us, it's also for our children. And if we were to walk away from God, maybe you will come back, but that doesn't mean that your children will come back. You, you all can stand, and um, I want us, I don't usually, when I minister, like, do an altar call, but I do want to do an altar call. I want to open it up to anybody who is, maybe you are going through a challenging time. Maybe you feel like things have been stolen from you, and maybe you also have wounds that have been developed, And the thing about wounds, like I said, is we like to keep them secret. We don't want anybody to know what we are facing. And so it takes bravery to take that step and to acknowledge that I have wounds. I have things that maybe that nobody can see what I'm going through. But it takes that act of courage to take that step and say, I don't care if people are going to look at me. I don't care if people are going to wonder. But I'm going to take that step because man is not your healer. It doesn't matter what man thinks when they look at you because God is your healer. He is the one who's going to be able to take this wound and to heal it. Lord, we come to